Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. As Christians, we are called to be disciples of Jesus. And to be a disciple means not just to listen to what he says, uh, but to put it into practice or to put it into action. And we've spoken a lot about discipleship uh, over the last year. I hope, in a sense, we always speak about discipleship. We've been I raised the volume on that one a little bit. And in that vein, I want to talk about discipleship again today. But if you're thinking, oh, here we go again. I've been to this message. I've been to a few of these. This is repetitive. Don't worry. Don't fear. If you like novelty, there is novelty today to a degree. In that I want to talk about an area of discipleship that we've just, we've just not spoken on for a while. We've not had a talk on this topic for, for quite some time. And so uh, hopefully it will be challenging, but it will also maybe be slightly different. Um, and... Uh, but it's definitely under the banner of discipleship. But I just need to start by saying that today um, as, as, um, is the last opportunity you've got to sign up for something we practically do in the church to do with discipleship. Because um, today is the day that we close our bookings, uh, I say bookings, sign up, I guess, for our discipleship groups that we run in the church or action groups. And we may well still have spaces. No, in fact, we don't may well. We do still have spaces. If you sign up before the end of the day, we will do our utmost best to get you into an action group. The details are there. It's basically churchcentral.org.uk slash action groups. You might be hearing about this for the first time today. You'd still be welcome to join up, but you're just going to have to find the details out from that website. Everything should be there. There's even a video with um, Blake's handsome face on it telling you about it. So uh, you can see that as well. But if you're probably, the, the, maybe what I'm talking to is those who thought, oh, yeah, action groups could be a good idea, sign up today. After today, it's going to be much more difficult to get involved, okay? But whether you work out your discipleship to Jesus through these groups or whether you do it in a different way, I want to talk today about an area of discipleship, Christian discipleship, that is important for every disciple of Jesus. And that is, uh, I want to talk about the uh, area of giving away our money. I would like to talk about financial giving today. And I want to be honest with you, my relationship to this topic got off to a pretty rocky start in my Christian life. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this, but I've been a Christian for a while now. And uh, as I've been a Christian, I've read the Bible more and more. And I've, uh, as I'll be honest, I've grown to love the Bible more and more as I've read it. Um, but also, every now and again, I stumble across verses that are a little bit tricky. And some of these even, as I read them, I have this knee-jerk reaction of, Seriously? Could, could that really be the word of God? Is, how can that be true? Does anyone else ever have that experience? Everyone be honest here. Ed does. Me and Ed, two of the elders do. The rest of you are sorted. So, um, oh well. Um, well, I'll be, I want to tell you about the first time that ever happened to me. And uh, it was a verse on this topic. I was about eight years old. And I came across Acts chapter 20, verse 35, which says this. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, this is a funny verse in some ways because this verse actually is Luke quoting Paul, quoting Jesus in a quote that isn't found in any of the Gospels. Okay, This is something Jesus said that didn't make it into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but just got stuck in, into Acts. So it's funny in that regard. But for me as an eight-year-old, it was funny for a whole different reason. It was funny because it could not possibly be true. That's why it was funny. As as an eight-year-old, I had two favorite days in the year, like most eight-year-olds. One was my birthday, and one was Christmas. 
And those two days had one thing in common, which, which made them my favorite days. And I got presents on those two days. And I could have told you, even at eight, I probably said all sorts of stuff about, oh, family's really important and food's important and all that. Rubbish. I just wanted presents. I could think of nothing better in life than receiving presents on my birthday. And probably, if I'm honest, if anyone said to me, oh, do you reckon out of those million presents you got on your birthday, could you give one of them away to someone? That would have been a complete scandal to me. That would, I could have imagined nothing worse uh, than that, really. And, um, I mean, it, it was so bad. I mean, it could have sent me into an ex- existential spiral. I could have been into a pit of doubt and despair at this point. But I was eight. So it didn't. Because I kind of gave God a pass and thought, you know what, uh, when I grow up a bit, maybe he'll win me round to this one. Good news today, everyone. He has won me round to this verse. And uh, he's won me round in two ways. I think the first way he won me round to this verse is I found out this is not just uh, Jesus as a one-off going off on one on this. This is not, um, not a kind of random side teaching of Jesus. This is taught consistently through the Bible and actually uh, very consistently by Jesus. When Jesus talked absolutely loads about money, he was not nervous to talk about money and financial ethics, if you want to put it like that. And his teaching, very helpfully on this, was pretty much the same whenever he spoke upon it. He wants, and what he wanted his first disciples, and he wants his disciples today to give their money away. So when he met the rich young ruler, he told him, give away all your possessions. When he saw a widow at the temple giving away her very last coin, he praised her. He praised Zacchaeus when Zacchaeus decided to give away half of all his possessions. And actually, it wasn't just individuals. In Luke 12, 33, he gathers together all his disciples and he says this to them. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. You would have to be very, very selective to read through the Gospels and miss this point that Jesus' call to his disciples is a quite startling measure of open-handedness and generosity with our money and with our stuff. And so God's convinced me of that. This is in the Bible a lot. But actually, it's not just that I've been convinced by God that it's right to give away money. It's not just that I've been convinced that it is more morally noble to give than to receive. That's not what Acts 20.35 says. It says it is more blessed to give than to receive. What this means is there is blessing for us as we give to people. We often think there's blessing for the people that we give to. Yes, I hope that is true. But no, there's blessing for us as we give. There is joy in the practice of self-sacrificial generosity that Jesus calls us to. And that's what God has convinced me of over these years. And I guess that, in a sense, is the heading over everything I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the blessedness of giving, the joy of giving. And let's get it all out right at the beginning. Let's let's get rid of the, the possible awkwardness as we go along. I'm going to put all my cards on the table. Listen, sermons about money are really tricky. These are hard ones. There's only one thing I like less than asking people to give away money. Do you know what it is? When other people ask me to give away money. That, that's what it is, okay? <laughs> we, we live in a culture where we are exploited on this front all the time. And sadly, it's got to be said, the Christian church has not been innocent of such manipulation either. And I'm sure, trigger warning here for those who need such a thing, there are awkward moments ahead in this talk. Probably for all of us, mainly for me, okay? <laughs> Have sorry, but be sorry for poor Johnny. Um, 
But you know what? I'm willing to put us all through that experience for this reason. Because I genuinely believe, and I think I've experienced the blessing that Jesus talks about when we give away our money and our stuff, and I genuinely don't want any of you to miss out on it. That's why I want to say what I'm saying today. So what kind of blessings then am I talking about? Let's just look at two. I'm sure there are loads. I'm going to miss loads of stuff out. But I want to give us two blessings of why giving away our money is a blessing. The first one is this. For, sorry, two reasons why giving away our money is a blessing. The first one is giving away our money helps us to free us from slavery to money. It helps free us from slavery to money. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 24. He said, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, the language Jesus is using here is reminding us of some, some themes that run through the Old Testament to do with Israel's struggles with idolatry in the Old Testament. So, as you read the Old Testament, for the people of uh, Israel, uh, the question always for them was this. Are you going to serve God, the one who got you out of Egypt and the one who gave you the law and the one who chose you to be his? Are you going to follow him or are you going to follow another God, another one of the deities, uh, the supposed deities that other nations follow? And that's the question that's constantly being put to the people of Israel. And the people of Israel, I mean, as you'll see, they don't do a great job in the Old Testament largely uh, on this front. But often they're kind of scratching their heads even at the question because they're saying, I just don't see the problem here. It's not that they wanted to stop following God a lot of the time. It's not like they said, oh, we don't care about him anymore. What they wanted to do was, we want to follow him. Oh, but we quite like this God over here. And what about this one over here? Let's just have them all. That's what we'll do. We'll have our cake and eating it. But over and over again, in the Old Testament, God makes it clear. You can't do it. Stop it. It's one or the other. It's me or it's another God. You can't have both things. There's one particular occasion when the prophet Elijah really confronts this when it comes to a, a Can another Canaanite deity uh, called, called Baal that many of the uh, neighboring uh, people worship. You'll be familiar with Baal if you read the Old Testament. And the people were being seduced into Baal worship. And Elijah had, had enough. And he said, look, I'm going to make this stark for you. And he arranged a challenge on this mountaintop. And he said this. He gathered all the people to him. And he said this. He said, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But he says this. But the people were completely silent. Right at the outset today, I would want to offer us exactly the same challenge from Jesus. And I want this challenge to resound in your ears through everything I say, whether it's going to be practical or you think, well, how does that work? Or you're wrestling with that. I want this challenge to be in our ears. Look, how long will we waver between two opinions? If God is God, follow him. If you think money can do it for you, if you think that can make you happy, go for money. You can't have both things. Now, I imagine... This is not going to come as a major surprise that I would opt for the God option here. Just to be clear, I want to, I want to help you as we go through uh, this talk. I want you strongly to encourage you to reject the love of money and serve God. And I have two big reasons for that right at the start here. And first one is obvious. Money is a terrible God. It's a terrible God. Money presents itself as a savior. It really does. You know, in our culture, I don't know if you've noticed this. You've got a problem. Life's not going so well. Well, what do you do? What, how do you get out of that problem? 
usually the message is, get more money, get more stuff. You'll be better. Money presents itself as a savior, but it's not a savior. It is just as Jesus said, it's a cruel slave master. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Money's a slave master. The mantra of money is very simple. It's get more, get more, get more. And if you just think about that for a second, that is a recipe for disaster as like a life goal. Because if your life goal is to get more, you will be stirring up an appetite that can never be satisfied. This isn't like, this isn't like kind of scratch your head stuff. This is kind of stuff you will have heard before. You'll know this, okay? If there's no enough with get more, get more, get more. And that is where the enslavement comes in. It's a very, very helpful image here. It is enslavement. That sort of mentality drives you on mercilessly to a, to a guaranteed outcome. You can be guaranteed where that will end up. It will end up in dissatisfaction and discontent. And actually, while it does so, it will also completely dehumanize you, bringing out all sorts of things in your character that you don't want in your character. Nobody wants to be known as a jealous, greedy, stinge bag. I don't think so anyway. If you follow money, that is inevitably where you will end up. A few years ago, uh, George Monbiot wrote this in The Guardian. I'll read you the quote in full. Uh, there has long been a correlation observed between materialism, a lack of empathy and engagement with others, and unhappiness. But research conducted over the past few years seems to show causation. For example, a series of studies published in the journal Motivation and Emotion in July showed that as people become more materialistic, their well-being, good relationships, autonomy, sense of purpose, and the rest, diminishes. And as they become less materialistic, it rises. In one study, the researchers tested a group of 18-year-olds and then retested them 12 years later. They were asked to rank the importance of different goals, jobs, money, and status on one side, and self-acceptance, fellow feeling, and belonging on the other. They were then giving a, a standard diagnostic test to identify mental health problems. At the ages of both 18 and 30, materialistic people were more susceptible to disorders, but... If in that period they became less materialistic, they became happier. You know what? It is a great blessing for us if we can be free from this master, the master of love of money, because he's a really bad master. Actually, the flip side of this gives us an even better reason to reject the God of money. Because you see, following money is not just means that you end up following a bad master. It means you miss out on the good God. That's even worse. Remember the whole, whole message of what Jesus said. You can only serve one, God or money. So that means if you're enslaved to money, you know what? You, you miss out on the joy of knowing our true and good master, the Lord Jesus. Now just think of the words I've used there. You might find it uncomfortable to think of Jesus as a master. And if, uh, if that's the case, I don't blame you in the slightest. That, that language reminds us of human practices we're not really very fond of. It might be that that reminds you of kind of Jesus as a boss or makes you think like that and you've had bad experiences with your boss, so uh, that doesn't seem very helpful. But even more so, uh, the language is the language taken from slavery. And uh, I've mentioned that already with money, uh, but that is in that language. And that is not a reference point we want for the God that we love and who loves us. And you know what? The Bible does use language like this sometimes. 
But also, the authors of the Bible are really self-aware about this. And they, I think they recognize that this is not a reference point we want to just rest on solely. We need to explain that straight away. And therefore, while the Bible definitely does say that God is the ultimate authority, and if we're to follow him, we need to submit to his authority, actually, it gives us a whole host of other images to make clear that we don't misunderstand this when we say Jesus is Lord. So yes, Jesus is Lord, but God is also who? He's our Father, the Bible tells us. He's our friend. He's our refuge. He's our trainer. He's our counselor. He's our comfort. There's another image in uh, the book of Hosea, which I think is particularly relevant here. Hosea, another Old Testament prophet, he was like so many others. He was talking to the Israelites in a context where they were worshipping other gods. In this case, again, like with Elijah, the god Baal. Okay, And in Hosea 2.16, Hosea says this, When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my, my husband instead of my master. You will call me my husband instead of my master. Master, actually, that word is just a translation of the word Baal. When they follow Baal, all Baal means is master. It's in the name, slave master, I follow you. I mean, what are you doing? Like, how does that even work? God's not like that. He's not just a faceless master. Who is he? He's a loving spouse. It's like Baal, money is that master. We don't want to serve money. We want to serve a... We want to come under the love and the refuge and the shadow of the wing of a loving spouse. But you see, that means if we understand those difference, if we serve money, it's not just to fall into slavery to a cruel, dehumanizing, deceptive slave master who will make your life a misery. That sounds bad. But also it's to distance yourself from the love of the perfectly loving spouse who loves you and who cares for you and wants the best for you. I hope it's getting across here. I would, I would maintain that it would be a massive blessing to be free from the love of money in our lives. So I've labored that one a little bit. You might think, oh, got it, okay. He's gone, gone pretty hardcore on that one. Got it, got it. God, not money. Good, that's what I'll do. Fine, let's move on to another point. The problem is it's not quite that simple, uh, is it, with this sort of thing? And the reason it's not quite that simple is because we're not neutral in this whole occasion. We, we don't step back and go, hmm, interesting. God or money, pros and cons. Okay, I'm going to go with this one. No, we're in the thick of this slavery already. Now, it would be a, a definitely false to say that the love of money is just a 21st century Western problem. It was clearly a 1st century Middle Eastern problem. Otherwise, it wouldn't appear in the Bible so much, would it? But at the same time, with that said, this is a significant problem in our culture. I mean, I'll go as far as saying that this presents itself in our culture in an even more seductive way than it would have done in Jesus' culture. I'm not going to go into a <laughs> outline a thesis on economics here. Uh, I don't think we need to, to understand this, but our entire economic system is designed to enthrone money and possessions as the ultimate goal of all of life. That we should chase after them. Everything is designed for that. A whole society is structured on that, that premise. And then the media uses every tool available to us, very, very sophisticated tools, to make us fall in love with money over and over and over again. Let's not be under any illusions here. We are in the thick of the battle between these two gods already. And whether you're a Christian or not here, 
to one degree or another, I would suggest you already are enslaved by money in one way or another. And so the problem is not just which one do we choose. The, the problem is how do we get out of our slavery to money and materialism? How do we do it? Well, first off, as in everything in the Christian faith, we, we turn to Jesus. He's done everything necessary to rescue us from all slavery to sin. The first thing we do to him is we fall humbly on him. We come to him in prayer. We ask him for his help. Vitally important. Actually, in the New Testament, it makes it really clear. Prayer is not enough in this area. I wonder how that sits with you. That sounds a bit odd. Prayer is not enough? Isn't prayer everything? God help. No, prayer is not enough in this area. And we know that because we read the Gospels, we see that there's something that we have to do to free ourselves from money. I'm sure there are lots of different things we could throw in here. Jesus doesn't give us loads of them. He gives us one thing. And he says this, you want to be free from from money? Well, give it away. Give away your money. The cry of money is get more, get more, get more. And so the decisive practice in disentangling ourselves from money is this. Give more, give more, give more. Luke 12, 33. Jesus said it, sell your possessions and give to those in need. Full stop. What what we wanted to do there is go, oh, can you just give me some specifics here, Jesus? Um, How much exactly? Just don't want to misunderstand. Um, We need, obviously, to be sensible about this. Um, We wouldn't want a situation, and I'm sure you wouldn't as well, Lord, where we give away too much. That could be problematic. You know what? Those questions are interesting questions, and they're good questions in their context. What's interesting is Jesus never bothers at all with those questions. He just leaves the full stop. No, sell your possessions and gifts to those in need. He leaves us to work it out. He never, he never seems to see a need to qualify his encouragements to give. In fact, I think if someone came to Jesus and complained, hey, Jesus, you've made a terrible mistake. You've left it way open. People could give too much money. I think he'd be like, hmm, great. Because it's ble- more blessed to give than to receive. That would be his answer. So firstly, giving our money away is a blessing as it frees us from the slavery to the love of money. Second thing is this. Give our money away is a blessing because it lets us share together in the work of God. Um, While Jesus doesn't qualify his instructions to give, he would often encourage giving in a certain direction. You may have noticed it already. It's to those who are in need or to the poor, as the Bible often puts it. And uh, this isn't just Jesus. Again, generosity to the poor is encouraged all the way through Scripture, Old Testament, later New Testament, and uh, all over the Gospels. But the Bible does, it's helpful with that. We'll hold on to that. I'll come back to that in a minute. But it's helpful to know also that the Bible does encourage us to give in other ways too. One example would be the building of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Tabernacle, not a word that trips off the tongue in everyday language, but it was this kind of portable uh, meeting place that the Israelites used while traveling around the desert, and it was pretty lavish and extravagant. It was well, well made, and it took lots of resources to make it. And they got those resources from the Israelites giving to the tabernacle. Exodus 35, 29 explains. It says this. So the people of Israel, every man and woman who was eager to help in the work the Lord had given them through Moses, brought their gifts and gave them freely to the Lord. 
so the people gave to the tabernacle. A bit later, they give to the temple. If the tabernacle was grand, tell you what, the temple was even grander, and it would cost even more money, okay? And again, how do they get that money? Well, the people gave. They gave freely. They gave eagerly. Even more than that, they rejoiced. It says this in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 9, the people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord, and King David was filled with joy. Again, notice, they didn't just give, they gave eagerly, they gave freely, they rejoiced. Not they didn't receive anything, they rejoiced because they could give. Just like Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. But why? What was the, what was the thing that was causing them to rejoice? He says, because these guys have given to him, they say, you, he says to them, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. You have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. What was Paul's present difficulty? Paul's difficulty was essentially this. Paul was working really hard by the grace of God to share the good news and to plant churches all over the Middle East and Europe where the gospel had never been preached before and churches had never been planted before. Now, Paul is a, is a pretty amazing guy. I don't know if you read the Bible and think, you stand back and go, wow, this guy is pretty impressive. I mean, he was amazing. I think he was amazing in his natural gifts as well as the gifts that God gave him. But he did all sorts of things. He did miracles. Uh, he preached to thousands. He also had audiences with kings and queens as well. He was a guy who moved in high places. He was an exceptional and unique character. He was instrumental in the birth of the Christian church. I imagine, Jesus aside, he was the most instrumental figure in the birth of the Christian church at the beginning of the first century, in the first century. Actually, the Philippian church, they were a product uh, of his hard work that was done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, notes back here again. Where were we? Yes, they gave, got that bit. Oh, I was getting a bit carried away. Hold on. <laughs> Good. Um, so the Philippians, I'll keep my finger there. I'll get too distracted. Uh, the Philippian church were a product of Paul's ministry. And let, let's face it, the Philippian church were not full of Paul's. I don't know if you ever thought of this before. Paul encourages people regularly to say, be like me, but you can't be exactly like Paul. We know who was in the Philippian church, although we, we know a few. Uh, we've got, got some stories about them. We know that there was a lady called Lydia in the Philippian church. She was a textiles dealer. She dealt in purple cloth, uh, it tells us in the book of Acts. We also know there was a, uh, at least one jailer in the Philippian church. He became a Christian uh, when Paul and Silas were in prison in Philippi. And those guys, my guess would be, I might be wrong, but my guess would be they didn't go and plant churches all across Europe like Paul did. I think they probably had purple cloth to sell and jails to guard, would be my guess, and maybe even families uh, to raise. Now, I need to be careful here. I'm not saying that by having a job or a family, it stops you from actively doing the will of God or even going on, on foreign mission, actually. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this. On our own, we cannot do all the things that we want God to do in the world. I hope you realise that. It dawns on you a little bit more the older you get, in my experience. But we, on our own, we can't do all of it on our own. We can't be uh, like exactly like all the people that we want to do all the stuff uh, that gets done. So how can we share then in the work of God what we can give? How did the Philippians share in the work of God with Paul's life? They gave to him. Just like people in the Old Testament, the time of David. 
David was the king. He was uniquely placed to build that temple. I'm your average Joe Israel. I can't build a temple. So how do I share in it? Well, as they did, they gave. And there was a blessing for them to give. I want to be actually really clear on this. Jesus' instructions to give to the poor are exactly the same as this. I think sometimes we get this danger that we think there's two types of giving. We either give to ministry or we give to the poor. And they're like two different pots. They're not two different pots at all. You see, our God is a God whose primary agenda is lifting up the humble. That's what he's about from start to finish. His kingdom is specifically tuned for one group of people. And that is for the poor in spirit. They're the ones who inherit his kingdom. And so throughout scripture, God's preference is always towards the poor, towards the despised, towards the marginalised, the ones other people don't even care one bit about. He lifts up the needy. He takes the prisoner out of the pit. He takes the widow out of her loneliness. He takes the orphan out of his abandonment. That is what God is about in his work in the world. And so when we give to the poor, we're not just doing our bit, and we're not just actually providing for a need, although I hope we are. No, we're sharing in the very work of God himself. That's what we're doing when we do that. And all these things, we can't stop at just giving our money. Obviously, there's more to it than that. But I'll tell you what, it's not a bad place to start. In fact, I'll go a bit further on that one. If you're a disciple of Jesus, it is a necessary place to start. It's a blessing to give away our money because giving away our money frees us from slavery to money and it also helps us to share in the very work of God. So how does this relate to us then? How does this land with us today? I'd I'd like to unsurprisingly (laughs) encourage you on the back of all this to build the practice of generous giving into your discipleship to Jesus. You might think, this is an easy one. We've done the hard lifting here. This is the most practical sermon ever. The application is super easy. Let's get the band up. Let's have another song. We're done here. Okay? But I like to say, yes, the application is straightforward. I'm not going to pull anything random out of the bag for you. But again, like I said at the start, I want to admit the obvious awkwardness here. I, I said at the beginning, I say again, I find it uncomfortable to ask people to give money to things. And that is even worse if they're things that I am personally invested in. And I'll be honest, I am personally invested in this church. And I'm going to be saying, hey, I think you should build into your discipleship giving to this church. Okay, again, I want to be honest with you. Okay, I don't want to hide anything up my sleeve. I'm a staff member of Church Central and I'm a leader of this church. So I'd like to say a couple of explanatory things just to help us as we, as we, just before I land this really practically. And the first of this is really important. You can apply this message without giving a penny to us as a church. I want you to know absolute freedom to that in that regard as we land and we close here. You might be from another church here. Uh, you might be from no church at all. Alternatively, you may have clocked out this message a long time ago because you just cannot think this could be anything but a sales pitch for Church Central Inc. And because of that, you just not you, you think, no, this isn't for me. <coughs> you know what? If any of that is true for you, you know what? I completely get it. But I would say this as well. I do not want you to miss out on what Jesus teaches in this area and the blessings that come from this. Feel completely free not to give money to our church. Okay, you got it? Completely free. But I want to plead with you for something. 
is find somewhere that you can apply this message. Because you will not hear a more countercultural message than this this year. But this is vital for us if we're going to be free to serve our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And we're going to shine as lights in this world. Or even just if we want to have decent mental well-being. The second thing I say is this. Is if you are committed to the church here, you know what? I would encourage you unapologetically to apply this in terms of giving to the church here. And it's not because it pays my salary. But because I believe God's at work in us. And I want you, I desperately want you to share in that work. Because it's a blessing. Because it's a joy. So get a flavour of what God's doing. You know, I've, got a, I've got a little visual aid here. Here we go. Actually, it's not just a visual aid. We've got a gift of our own for you today. Ta-da! This could be yours today. Um, we put together a brochure. It's compiled and designed by Kate. Is Kate here? Might be top saying. And Jason. Jason's here. Good work on the design. Jason looks lovely. Um, and this spells out a bit of what God's been doing in, in the church, what we've been spending our money on. I just want to be aware, you need to be aware of this. This is like from, I say from last year, it's like from last year and the year before. This is a, a, a report, on, a tax report from uh, 2021, April 2021 to March 2022. So some of this stuff is, this is stuff we were doing then, okay? Uh, but it gives a real flavour of the kind of things that we do with the money that's given to us. And um, you can grab these at the end. I will find a way to do that. It might just be me because I didn't prepare myself earlier. But there will be people who will hand these to you as you leave. Uh, rough rule, one per household, so we don't run out. But no one's really counting. So just grab one of these if you'd like to know uh, what we've been giving to and kind of what it looks like. What's God doing through the church or what was he doing uh, in that calendar year? And I hope you find that stuff really encouraging. Um, and I find it encouraging. But I'll be completely honest with you, I find it even more encouraging thinking not just about the past, but about the future and what's coming up. Um, on Tuesday morning, uh, the staff team spent the whole morning thinking about what God is calling to us next, calling us to next as a church. And uh, if you've been around here for any length of time, you'll know that up to 2020, we had a really clear vision from God for something. And it was to be four congregations as church central in our city. And you know what? I constantly think back and thank God that when it got to the end of 2020, you looked and suddenly there are four congregations in Birmingham from Church Central. Wow, what a coincidence. Not at all. God did what he said he'd do and he enabled us to do what he called us to do. Thank you, Jesus. Wonderful. But it left us with a question, which was chapter done. What's next? What's the next chapter look like? And you know what, I can't give you all the detail, but I can tell you one thing. God is starting to really speak to us uh, as leaders, as a staff team, I know for others of us in the church as well, about this. And things are starting to come into place, and it's really, really exciting. Like I, like I can tell you, you're going to hear more about this soon, but I can give you some headlines. What are we doing in the next 10 years or so? You know what, God has got new churches for us to plant in our city. And not one, not two, he's got lots of new churches for us to plant. He's got existing churches that are really struggling that we can help out. He's got that for us, definitely. He's got entire communities that he has placed us uniquely in to serve and help people. He's got desperate people across this city that he has placed us uniquely to show love to. Yes, by providing their practical needs 
and also by welcoming them into the church community. That is for us. God's got it for us. He's calling us in that direction. And there's also ways that we can share in that work that God's leading us to. But one really practical way, I think it's fair to say, is, is to give. Because I think, I think I could check with Jonathan this, but I don't think we've got the resources at the moment to do all that stuff. No, not exactly. So we need to resource it. So therefore, without apology, I would like to offer you the opportunity to share in the work of God that he's calling us into and he's doing through our church and to build that into your discipleship as a disciple of Jesus. Okay, explanation over. We're almost done. Um, I've got three just very practical things that should be pretty quick, pretty snappy on this. I think it's three anyway. Yes, it's three, I'm correct. Uh, and that genuinely is the last page as well. Um, first thing is this. Make giving a regular habit. Make giving a regular habit. <clears throat> um, Christian discipleship, I think, could, can best be seen as, uh, in terms of habit forming. To be disciples, we want to build godly habits into our lives, and this area here is absolutely no exception. Um, now for some of you, it may be that up to this point, your giving, your financial giving, has been sporadic and occasional. Um, if that's the case, I would encourage you to make that regular. And for many people, uh, it helps to maybe make a standing order to the church. And there are details on the website to how to do that. The Welcome Hub, I'm sure if you go there, someone can, can fill you in on the, the nuts and bolts of how to do things like that. And that's helpful. For others, who also give, who already give regularly, I guess, I'd give a slightly different encouragement. My encouragement would be, could you increase the m- money that you give at the moment? I think the problem with standing orders, I think they really handle the organisation here. They sometimes don't help faith in an ongoing capacity because what happens is you just put the standing order in and it just keeps coming out. And it sometimes in the case you forget about it and if you forget about it, it's just there, you lose the joy of giving. And so for us, in, a, in Shay Meller, the Meller family, we've uh, set one of these up years ago and at the moment we're thinking, just going back to and having a look and thinking, look, is God calling us to up this again? Uh, in a certain way in the near future. And I'll encourage you each in your households to do a similar thing. So firstly, make giving a regular habit. Secondly, and this might be not be the next place you'd expect me to go here, but I'm speaking just to one group here. If you're a parent of children, train your children in the joy of giving. Train your children in the joy of giving. I talk to loads of parents who have all sorts of great schemes to help their children handle their money wisely. Really helpful. There are great apps to monitor spending. Uh, There's ways to encourage children to save at a young age. You know what? Brilliant, great, fantastic, all really helpful. But you know what? If we take Jesus' teaching on money seriously, the best way that we can help our children to handle their money well is by encouraging them to give away more than they are comfortable with from an early age. Now, I've got a... Imagine lots of ideas on how you could do that. And I'd love to start a conversation more about that, if that would be helpful in the church among parents. But right now, I just want to sow that seed with you. I'll encourage you parents to just start thinking about this if you haven't already. How can you encourage your children to build habits of giving? Because, very simple why this is, if we truly believe that it's more blessed to give than to receive, why would we want our children to miss out on that blessing? So train your kids in this. And finally, and I've got to say this because Jesus was very clear to say this in all discipleship, we also need to be ready in this area to count the cost. 
There's obviously a certain literal element to that here, which isn't in some of Jesus' other elements of discipleship. Whenever Jesus mentioned discipleship, he was always really clear. You want to be my disciple? You know what? There's going to be a cost. You know what? It's not always going to be easy. This is going to be, this is going to be seem hard. He always said as well, but if you lose your life, you will save it. He wasn't trying to grind us into the ground. He was trying to lift us out of a wrong view of life. But there is always a cost. And counting the cost means that if we obey Jesus, uh, it's, we, it means doing things that we're not always comfortable with. I think in giving, this doesn't mean being completely unrealistic. I think a helpful thing is to be realistic in the next step you take as you form godly habits. But realism should always come with taking a step of faith too. You're realistic, but you push it a bit further. Say, okay, God, I want to push this a bit further than just realistic. I think the good thing about thinking of discipleship in terms of habit forming is that forming habits isn't usually about massive leaps every five minutes. Now, it's about small changes that you continue for a long period of time. My encouragement to all of you in your giving is to think about what you can give in your present situation. Don't wait until you get that job or that promotion or that thing. Now, what can you give right now? And then think, well, what's realistic? And then push it a bit. Then add a bit of faith to it. As we're going with all this, the whole point of discipleship is we don't want to just become self-reliant. We want to become God-reliant. And so we, in this area as well, I encourage you, Push it out so that you need God's help, so that you need God's provision. As we need God's help in this, as in all these things, I want to end by asking for his help. 